Screenless. The TV drama is imagined. The work and the guests are real. Making a soundtrack. Opening scene and action. We're sounding a little bit different today because I've come to visit Dan. Hey. Yeah. So uh, I came to Folkestone, which um, I arrived at quarter past seven this morning. Went straight to the harbour, saw the sunrise. It was absolutely beautiful. It is lovely. And then, uh, yeah, so we're in Dan's lovely studio. So if you go to the social medias, uh, I'm sure we'll probably put a picture up. Yeah. And us being in the same room, which is a very rare thing. Very lovely thing, So huh? what are we doing this morning, Dan? So... Why am I here? Well, um... <laughs> We thought it would be a very good idea to review the music so far. Yeah. So we're going to listen back to everything, make some notes, and see if there are any changes, any improvements we want to make. Yeah. Yeah. And then, probably at the same time, think about the mixing and any mixing notes that we can make for ourselves, or for you, doing the mixing. Yeah, definitely. And then you have a guest coming over that we're going yes. to be chatting with. Do you want to mention that? Yeah, yeah. so it's Peter Black. He's a director, and Peter and I worked together last year on Seagull, which was his feature debut. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, communication. Yeah, that's going to be the, the theme for this episode, really, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, communication, because it has come up. A lot with with every guest. It's all about, you know, uh, a good line of communication uh, can change everything. Absolutely. Cue the music. We didn't have your singing in the opening scene, Dan. Oh, no. What are we going to do? Maybe you can do it now. All right. We can't have an episode without it, really, can we? Cue the music. Just a short one. It's just a short one. Is that it? Okay. That's okay. It. So we are leaping forwards in time to Wednesday. Yes. The opening scene was on Monday. Yep. We're now on Wednesday. But we'll be going back in time for the behind the scenes because that we was will. on Monday as well. Because we recorded that on Monday as well. Yeah. So on Monday, we drank lots of tea. We did drink a, a, a modicum of tea. Yes. Uh, you gave me a tour around your... Uh, I would say house. It's more like a small city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of, one of the kids' friends came over and uh, as they were leaving the house, when their parents picked them up, they went, Daddy, Daddy, Eve lives in a castle. <laughs> it's, well, it, it does feel a bit that way. I it think does. my house could fit in your living room. Oh, well, you know, when you said this is the spare living room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. Look, but um, that's there's... that's one of four or five living rooms. Yes, and there's a very long-winded story as to why we have such a huge place. Uh, it, to quote um, to quote Ghostbusters, when we bought it, it was a unique fixer-upper opportunity. And the parts that you have fixed up look rather lovely. Thank you very much. Yeah. Anyway, so we drank lots of tea. We drank lots we of tea. We went up to your studio, which is studio. really nice. Yep. And we went through each track, just listening for bits we can improve for the music. Yeah. And um, making some 
making the odd little tweak here and there if it was easy to do on the fly. Yeah, kind of continuity stuff because we're at a point now yeah. where I think we kind of started off with an idea, but we've I think we've properly realised that idea now, having mm. been a few tracks in. I think really we knew that idea and we were, we were always heading there, but I think there's been a turning point with this once we got past the uh, liminal zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to do the voice. Um, we... Uh, <laughs> Once we got past that and, we, and then did track seven, the, uh, the the aftermath one, I think we realised that because it was so different from what we kind of envisioned, mm. uh, we envisioned this big clash and, of course, it was actually, it became a coming together of the characters. So we then wanted to go back and just make sure that everything else, sound-wise and style-wise, was all sitting yeah. nicely together. Yeah, so suppose from tracks one to seven, it's kind of a rounded sound now, isn't it? Yeah. So we can take a step back and go, right, let's sculpt a little bit and make sure that everything's uh, running through. It's got continuity Yeah. and uh, sounds sounds the same. Yeah, and because we're almost three quarters of the way through it now, so... Yes. And so, yeah, we made some notes for mixing as well yep uh just li- little things actually i don't think you'll be starting from scratch i think no. uh, it will be more this is a bit too high or i could add yeah, a reverb to this exactly or, yeah know. can you push that a bit it's more about that than it is that and as cool it as is, that yes. is can you turn it down a bit because it's it's hitting me in the face yeah well there was a, a moment in track four actually where you have a right hand piano part that comes in with a pad and I think it was getting a bit lost with the pad and yeah so yeah. it was just about pulling the pad down a bit and yeah a little, a, bit. a little bit of sculpting with EQ will sort that out yeah yeah and so we have uh, a work in progress album to listen to short of tracks 9 10 and 2 which is the theme tune which we have yet to sing the theme tune tackle the theme tune. We, we did talk about it we though, did on, talk a little Monday, bit about it but we did kind of run out of time as well yeah, and uh, yeah, a couple of these tracks we've kind of mulled over for a little while, haven't we, before? So we've got yeah. an idea of how to approach it, but uh, it's about just doing it. But yeah. we might get together again for that. Yeah. And we also reviewed track eight. Yes. So it was a track of build before uh, we're, we're coming up to another event in track nine. So this was your track to approach, Dan? It was, yeah. What? was going through your mind well it's a difficult one because obviously we were thinking this is a build and before we've had either we've had basically a hit point we've had something to go towards whereas with a build it's just the build up to it so i was quite unsure really how to approach it because i didn't want to put too much in but at the same time it you know wants to be interesting so that you want to listen to it yeah so i found it a little difficult to get started. We had an idea, didn't we? We wanted to re-establish that new theme at the beginning and then we wanted to reintroduce that ostinato from the very first track. Yeah. And so I had an idea of what to do with that, but once I started putting it in, I sort of flim-flammed about a bit, not really knowing what to do, kept moving it about until eventually I settled on sort of orchestrated I think it was you actually that came up with the idea you said why don't you just have it sort of the ostinato dance around the string section a bit so you can have different mm. bits doing bits and, and then it, they can slowly sort of come together and I was doing that and I was adding some synth to it underneath some bass synth and I'd got um, I thought if I 
on the bases added the new theme underneath. It would be very subtle, but it would be there. So you'd have the ostinato and the new theme. And because it was lower down, it's slightly more menacing, you know, so that you know something's not quite right. And I kind of accidentally stumbled across a new, new theme, which <laughs> yeah. kind of isn't a new theme at all. It's, it's literally just the uh, notes from the ostinato. I think that's perfect, though, because we wanted to reintroduce this ostinato from the introduction and so you've taken it you've reintroduced the ostinato as a recognizable yeah. thing but also it's almost like pulling back the curtain to this this massive thing that's related to that yeah and i i just built it so it starts off i think it starts off on the violas with like i say the basses are doing the the new theme the piano is continuing with the ostinato throughout i started um, on the violas and then slowly spread it out. Um, the I think the celli do some of the notes from the ostinato until eventually and so this this theme starts on the viola and slowly spreads to all of them and then at the end for the last I think it's four bars it's just all in unison. Yeah it becomes a very very powerful tool yeah. by everything slowly just being it's almost like it's a massive magnet and uh, everything's getting all pulled. these yeah it's just getting pulled into this theme so Yes, it becomes, you know, just hit the brief spot on, I think, because it becomes about then what happens. Yeah. You haven't hit a point where it's gone, ah, right, resolution, that's it, yep. done. It ends very in a very uncertain way. And that's that was the difficult thing, I think, getting my head around that, because I think, you know, you naturally want to finish things. You want to wrap everything mm. up in a nice, neat bow, and for it to, even if it's a, a you know, horrible bow but you know you want to <laughs> you, you want to wrap it up and so that you know exactly where you're going <laughs> the worst worst wrapped present it's the worst ever. wrapped present ever yeah but yeah so you, you you not that bow it's too beautiful <laughs> that bow is far too beautiful for them so yeah you you need to um you need to finish things and i think it's a very natural thing to want to see something through to its conclusion and so mm. with this i had to not do that because yeah. the next track the start of the next track yes. will be the thing. Yeah. This is just yeah, leading up thing. to this next track. So now, the the thing I keep going backwards and forwards on for track nine is you've made these very lo- the new new theme <laughs> has very long notes, very purposeful, very loud, very forceful. Yeah. So what I'm going backwards and forwards on for track nine is that do I start there, and if I start there. Where do I go from that? Or do I drop it back down? So I'm using this new theme, but maybe in a a subtler way, it's going to be a track of combat. Uh, So it's going to be track seven's theme against, I don't know, we're going to have to call this theme something, but this new theme. So I guess I'm kind of leaning towards the subtlety of combat and in musical terms, counterpoint, Counterpoint, them dancing around each other. So I guess I'd need to make it a bit more subtle, quick, it needs to have that power as well. Yeah, I, I guess you could you could start with a shock, you know, a kind of a fright, some sort of yeah, yeah, that could be good definitive start, which would do two things. Number one, obviously, straight away it grabs your attention. It would work mm. very well after the end of you know the tracks running together because you'd have this thing, and it also if if you do something like that, it can give you the space just to have a little breather. So you can have a, yes. and then you can have a little bit of a breather before then deciding what you want to do with the themes. Yeah. Yeah. Where do we want track nine to end up? 
Is it the series cliffhanger? <laughs> well, track 10 will, is going to be the resolution for this album, isn't it? Resolution, yeah. So I suppose the fallout from track nine. But it, yeah. yes, the question remains, you know, we're having this combat. What's the end result of that combat? I mean, I could just see where it goes and uh, see if it fits. Yeah. But I'm thinking something fairly fast, fairly fraught. Yep. With these kind of powerful surges, forceful stabs at each yeah, other. Because we've not, we're not really, we've we've had some sort of stuff that has, you know, you can tell it's it's on a mission, it's got a purpose, yeah. but we've not really had anything particularly upbeat. Yeah. Maybe not upbeat. It's, upbeat's the wrong. Yeah. But we've not had anything that's up-tempo. been particularly up tempo. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's see what happens. Yeah. I shall uh, sit and scratch my head for half a day, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, well, that's always the way, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but I think the key is, like you've experienced, is just sit with it for a while, you know, and and don't just write for writing's sake. It's it's thinking about it logically, but also it's got to feel right, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, obviously we've got the luxury of time on this a little bit. Not a massive amount, but, you know, if you were actually scoring something... Mm then you you never have the the luxury of time but uh with this we we can do a little bit of backwards and you forth do have and... the luxury of a picture though <laughs> which we don't yes this is uh, very true i think that's probably the biggest challenge isn't it the the biggest challenge that we faced is that we're not writing to anything so we're having to yeah which is why it's important for us to talk it through so much yes, um, yes. and switching on our mind tellies i know a lot of people have difficulty with when you've been doing music to picture for a long time, and, and I do know composers that find it very difficult to write without the picture, but that's never been the case for me. I'm, I always talk through it, always have an idea, but I, I don't find it's that double-edged sword, isn't it, the mm, picture? Absolutely. It's great because it gives you, you know, it does in a way absolutely dictate what you yeah. can do. But I suppose we've um, replaced that with, like you say, talking things through probably in more detail yeah. than you would with with a picture so that we're happy yeah. with the direction of a track and then we can go away and do that yes no i mean i think it's very important this episode is all about communication and and this is part of the working process for us yeah um talking through it and i think if we were if we were scoring a show together we would talk about the episodes yeah. you know and we would talk through the the moods themes and everything what's going on in the characters' heads, all that kind of stuff. And yes, very much so. But uh, I just mean that without the luxury of having, you know, watching through an episode and uh, having those yeah. given to us, we're having to kind of make these things up for ourselves. So we're, we're having yeah. to talk yeah. about it more, I suppose, than we would. Yeah, yeah. And therefore, communicating is key for us in that sense. Absolutely, yeah. So our marvellous guests have all talked about communication over the course of our series, which is part of the yeah. reason we wanted to do an episode dedicated to communication. So, yeah, just thinking back, yeah. Rob McCallum, communication for him was subtle as time is always a factor on these big productions. So for him, communication has to be very clear and concise so everyone can get on with what they need to. What about Andrea? Well, Andrea... She mentioned that uh, communication was hugely important to make sure that you were basically in tune with each other so that you're all singing from the same same, uh, hymn sheet, so to speak. 
and actually just to work out whether it's a partnership that's, you know, going to work. Do you want to work with that person? Yes. So getting it right very early on. Yeah. Tristan talked about demystifying the processes around making music. So for him, actually communicating those messages to other composers and new composers via, you know, he's written a book, he's got a Facebook page. He is so open to having yeah. conversation with anyone, isn't he, about anything to, anything to demystify the process. Absolutely, so him, yeah. Communicating those messages is, uh, is really important. Uh, I think Sam mentioned things about when things aren't going right, not basically burying your head in the sand, you know, making sure that you communicate because... Yeah. It only gets worse if you're not communicating with someone and something's bugging you. It's, you know, that's that's just life. Yeah. Not never mind yeah. just working. You know, it's not just a working relationship. That's for any relationship. You know, talking about things is key. So yeah, Sam mentioned that, and I think it was about us working together. You know, which is very very similar to you and I working together, Gareth. You know, lots of talking through yeah. things and making sure that we were. As all collaborations, if it works, you always end up with something that you would never have dreamt of doing. But also, like you say, if things aren't going right, saying so, you know, communicating that actually it's it's okay to want help. That's why you're collaborating. You know, it's two two brains are better than one kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Steve Hughes, director, he talked about communication being key on set. He even goes so far as getting people to swap jobs on set to fully understand the collaborative process, which it's only going to help, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's great. They do, you know, it's the old saying, walking a mile in somebody else's shoes, isn't it? And you don't really know until you've done something exactly what the pressures and everything are. So uh, so that's, yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so Lucy mentioned communication between departments. I think she was talking about sort of the sound department and the composer making sure that they were on the same wavelength because it's something that I've mentioned before where you you know you're doing a scene and uh, the music just yeah. gets buried because there's a load of explosions or this that and the other so I think it's it was, Lucy mentioned that how important that can be to make sure that um, all the SFX and everything else everybody works in conjunction you know so that all the cogs are, are working rather than uh, yeah absolutely. one of them going off by themselves and uh, Melton Baytock Foley artist she was talking about working with a sound recorder she doesn't actually do all the technical stuff herself she's the artist she's in there with the car door or the pair of yep. shoes or you know so she's yep. concentrating 100% on the sound and so she's really relying on the sound recordist to capture what she's doing so the communication between yeah her and the sound recordist is vital you know uh simon mentioned communicating with the onset musicians um he said it was key to make sure that music is as believable as possible to camera because obviously if you think about this massive thing they're recording and then the last thing they need is uh you know some bozo on the (laughs) in the background holding a cello and he's got the bow the wrong way around or something you know it's um yes massaging that cv (laughs) yes indeed yeah as he mentioned i've got grade one trumpet yeah (laughs) (laughs) i once touched a stylophone Nice. Uh, It does lead us very nicely to our behind the scenes today because we're going to be talking about communication with Peter Black. You mentioned in the opening scene that Peter and you have worked together. Yes, indeed. On Peter's debut feature film, which is all based in Folkestone, isn't it? It is, yeah. 
Yeah, it was all it was all shot around here. It's really interesting. It looks very nice if I say so myself. Obviously, I had nothing, I had nothing to do with how it looks. Yeah, but, no, that's um, it sounds like yeah. a, a really cool project to be involved with. Okay, should we go behind tit scenes? Let's go behind tit scenes. Behind tit scenes. Peter grew up in Denmark and came to the UK in his early 20s to work in the TV industry. He trained in post-production and later progressed into production, working on Dancer in the Dark by Lars von Trier and reality shows for TV. In 2000, he started producing content for pioneering internet companies and later founded Clip Films, a production company to serve the corporate, arts and public sector. Throughout his career, he has written, directed and produced many short films, of which some have screened at international film festivals, Two of his short films were nominated for the Time Out Award, both Meet in 2007 and Preacher in 2008, and in 2016 he shot his first feature film, Seagull. Welcome to the podcast, Peter Black. Welcome. Thank you very much. And it's lovely all being in the same room, isn't it's it? It's lovely slash a little bit weird. weird. <laughs> we're usually on Skype. But this is first for me, so for me it's completely uh, normal. That's fantastic. Great. So, Peter, when did you first start directing and at what point did you decide that directing was going to be your raison d'etre? <laughs> uh, well, so I came, I came to the UK in 94. I did a media training course and then uh, I think it's, they had, I had a, for about a year I thought I was going to be an actor. And then at some point I decided it was going to be more fun behind the camera. And then... I arrived in London and had to survive and I got, found a runner job in post-production and then I started making my first short film in the spare time. In fact, my, my first short film was shot and edited on VHS. Wow. Yeah. That says something about my age. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I think that was back in 95, 96. Um, it, it, was, it was many years after that before I actually decided I was going to be a film director. But I always had dreams of wanting to do it, but I never thought it could be a reality. Um, I, I don't know, maybe sometime around. In fact, in 2003, I left my freelance, oh, sorry, my full-time job to go freelance. And the aim was to spend more time on my own work. So it was probably at that point I decided to, um, to take the plunge and become a freelancer and really dedicate myself more to fiction, writing and directing. Were there influences early on in your life that led you to that dream of being a director? Particular films or TV or anything like that or stories? So um, I came to loving the, the medium of film quite late in my life. I think in my late teens, I was probably watching more theatre okay. than I was watching films and I couldn't name any famous film director in, in those mm. days. I mean, obviously, you know, Star Wars and, you know, Rambo and Terminator and all those things that everybody else watched, I watched, but mm. I couldn't really tell you who directed what or anything. I think the first film experience I had when I thought, wow, that was really mind-blowing was... Um, Natural Born Killers. Okay, yeah. By 
what's his name? Stone. Um, Oliver Stone. Yeah, by Oliver Stone. Mm. And it was such a mix of medium. It was like cartoon, theater, TV soap, action, all kinds of stuff mixed into one film that, you know, and I, I came out of that going, wow, that was just amazing. I think maybe at that point I was thinking it would be really cool mm. to do something like that. Yeah. So coming into the present day, what's the communication like on set um, when, you, when you're working in a typical day, would you say? So the way I approach uh, directing, the way I see myself as director, so I, I've always wanted to do direct because I love working with actors. I also love, you know, putting images together with music and telling stories, but I'm much more excited about working with actors than about putting lenses on a camera. And so it was always that, that was the driving force behind me wanting to, uh, wanting to direct. And just remind myself coming back to mm. your question, which was how communication works. Yeah. So the way I approach directing is <clears throat> I think the, the job of the director um, when I direct is to make sure that everybody works to their best abilities. So it's probably less for me about being creative and being the genius behind it. It's more about making sure that everybody is heard and everybody gets an opportunity to put their spin on things and be proud of what they produce. So communication for you is key, really, on, on a... Yeah, absolutely on key. And it's... For me, it's about creating that atmosphere where everybody are working towards like a big common yeah. Yeah. Uh, output. Mm. That's, That's interesting because awesome. we had the director Steve Hughes on not so long ago. And one of the big things he said was how he likes to make his set calm, relaxed, and he does job swaps. So different people will have a quick go at doing something so mm. that people are learning skills you make sure everybody's comfortable because that way, once everyone's comfortable, they can do their best work. Yeah. Not screaming and shouting at people. Yeah. And, but also creating that feeling of collaboration on set. Yeah. Uh, that everybody's, everybody's. And people appreciating yeah, each other's jobs. Exactly. Too. Everybody's viewpoint is worth something. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not a dictatorship. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that's the way I approach it. I think yeah. everybody, every director has a different way of approaching it, but I think. So yeah, communication is is in that sense is very important. Yeah, I remember Fantastic. on my on the on the first day of the of the shoot of my first feature film, <clears throat> I gathered everybody in a room, and I wanted to express my gratitude to everybody for being there, and because it had been such a big lead up to that point, you know, it, almost twenty years had been mm. leading me to that point. It was quite an emotional point for me. And I remember I had, when I addressed people, I had tears in my eyes. And, and I think th it wasn't consciously, but afterwards, people said to me that in hindsight, they felt that that was actually that in that moment, it brought people together because they could see how passionate I was about this film. And suddenly it kind of just made people go, OK, let's let's just up our game here because this mm. is going to be it could, this could be really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. So, obviously, you've done both corporate and drama-based stuff. How, does, how, do, how do the two differ? Are there any overlaps or are they just chalk and cheese? It's, it's hard to say. It's hard to, to, 
to, to describe that precisely because in one way there is no Olaf at all mm. writing and directing and, and, you know, when I make a corporate film, I'm usually the cameraman, I'm usually the editor, I'm usually the person who liaises with the client and I will find the music and I will deliver it and I will, you know, send out the invoice and make sure it gets paid. It's so different to when you sit down, you know, with a blank page and try to write mm. something you you feel is important to say or something you're passionate about. Mm. Um, it, there's almost no comparison. Yeah. But at the same time, when I shoot and film and edit a corporate film, I use a lot of those skills that I that I use when I make films. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's a bit like somebody saying to us, you know. So you've done this TV drama and you've also done adverts. You how, use the same tools. How, how does don't it you? differ? Well, you know, it differs massively, but at mm. the same time, you're still using the same tools yeah. to yeah. to do it. So it's the same the same tools, but a different language. Because I have all the skills needed to put together corporate films, that definitely helps me with all the technical aspects of making films, mm. and it probably gives me a confidence. Yeah. That, you know, if one day on a film set, the boom operator doesn't turn up, I know how to hold the boom. I know how to get, you know, decent sound. I could be part of the editing process. I know, you know, which kind of edits doesn't work mm. and which edits does work. And those skills as well will help you communicate with people on a feature because you know how to do it. You you can speak to them in their language, almost. Uh, yeah. the, the language of the editor, the language of the yeah. boom operator. And so because you've, you've been there and you've done it, you know exactly how to communicate things. And that, that brings us neatly to the subject of communication between a director and a composer. Yes. So you and Dan have worked together on feature film Seagull, your first feature. What was the communication like between you both? And can you tell us a bit about your working process for that film between you and Dan? Well, I think, um, if I remember correctly, we probably started with uh, having a conversation about what the project was about. Yeah. And how I envisioned it, what I wanted it to be. I listened to some of your music. I could instantly tell that you had the, you had the qualities to be able to be, do something that would suit my work. So that was the initial yep. thing. And then I guess it was a conversation about yeah, the we, themes. and we, we got together and had a chat. You gave me a script and you printed out a script and it was bound and it was lovely. And you made a big thing of saying, look, I want to give you a script because I want to give you a script that's something that's physical that you can sit down and you can read. And having had lots of PDFs and things over the years, it really does make a difference having the physical thing in front mm. of you because, you know, I could be on the sofa downstairs and the kids could have some horrible thing on the telly and it didn't matter. I could still go through the... And for some unknown reason, the physical thing of actually having it was... But, yeah, that, I mean... And I suppose also, this you're saying it's beautifully bound. Peter was giving you something very valuable there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like the, the you know, the but, keeper of the keys kind of thing. Yeah, but, it, I mean, it was it was great because from the script... From reading the script, I got a clear idea of the tone of the film and a clear idea about the characters as well. And from that, I then spent a day just creating ideas for it. And I, it was literally, I think it was 
I don't think there were any strings or anything in there. I think it was just piano and like a synthesizer. Really mm. minimalistic sketches. sketches. And sent them over to you and you were like, great, thanks very much. And then didn't hear anything for a while. And then once they started editing mm. and stuff, a lot of those pieces of music found their way into what was the temp score. So some of it, some of the movie was edited to my music. It was when, yeah, it, it was very useful actually to have to have all of that yeah, stuff. I mean, there was and a, knowing that it came from the composer, it wasn't something that a composer had to go and reproduce somewhere. Yeah. Let, let, let me just go, uh, go one step back. So I think, am I right in remembering that uh, I gave you a playlist on um, Spotify? Spotify, yeah? yes. Because so um, the uh, James Abbott, I, I co-wrote the script with. He he produced like a, a playlist on Spotify. And I think he used that too yeah. for writing. And then I started using that playlist as well and put that on just to set the score as you, you know, with the headphones on and starting writing. And I think I passed it on to you, you as well. You did pass it yeah. on to me as well, yeah. And once that had happened, because it was quite a, a long period of time, it wasn't a short period of time. We had the yeah. luxury of time <laughs> on this. But uh, the next thing we did is we got together and you had a rough cut of the film. Yeah. And we sat and watched it. And went through and talked about the characters, talked about the mood, talked about, you know, typical spotting session, really, where we wanted music to come in, where we didn't want music, where we felt something might need it, where we felt we should definitely leave it alone. You know, those kind of uh, those kind of things. And I think it was a couple of months later, I then got another edit. I hadn't done anything at this point, And then I started working on ideas to picture. But there was I think there was three big scenes that were still in flux, shall we say, mm, yeah. at that point. Uh, but the opening was there. The first eight and a half minutes of the movie don't actually have any dialogue. Yeah. True. So, so it relied <clears throat> heavily on the sound. It relied heavily on the sound, yeah. Mm. Uh, which was great in one aspect because, you know, it gets you to... Yeah, no sp- pressure. ...to spread your wings. <laughs> but, the, yeah, the, exactly. The other side of that is, oh, God. Yeah. The music had to carry, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, I think it took us a while to get, there's a sort of the second section of the start is where this character decides she's leaving where she is and she's going to go back to Folkestone. And mm-hmm. it's uh, a lot of beautifully shot stuff where she's walking over the unbelievably picturesque white cliffs. <laughs> and uh, it, it looks lovely. It took us a while to get the music right for that bit. I think you've talked about that before. Yeah, I had quite a few goes mm. of that. Until... But isn't that the scene where, because we were talking about you putting in the kitchen sink and then gradually taking everything out? Yes. And it ended up being quite minimalist Yes, in the end. It was piano, tiny little bit of synth and strings. Mm. That was quite often the process, wasn't it? I would, I would come in and then you'd play what you'd made and then I would suggest... Of removing things there was a lot of sculpting so we'd start it start off and i i am very much kitchen sink type of person throw everything at it and then start culling until mm. you end up with what's what's there now i think that a lot of that happened at the sort of like the second edit and then when when i got the final edit it was more tweaks and revisions rather than once i'd written stuff yeah. it would be little bits like there's a fight scene in the bunker and there's a couple of bits and I put some hits in and stuff. And Peter was like, no, over-egging it. Don't mm. need to do that. Let's do, we've, we've established the mood. 
you know, the action speaks for itself. You don't need to, there's no no need to add anything. And yeah. so I took those out. And it's little things like that, real small things towards yeah. the end. Talking about those kind of over-egging things, I think we, we were talking about the, the difference between TV and film. Yes, mm. yeah. And you often find TV is a lot more, the music is a lot more telling. Yeah. It's almost like trying to grab you, trying to stop you from changing channel. Where in a in a cinema you kind of well you're locked in a cinema for an hour and a half or two hours so you're not going to go anywhere so you don't need to yeah. push yeah the, that. I, I think so sometimes I, simplicity can be I think know, that's more true powerful. you've got you've got the luxury of time in a film to establish stuff a bit more unless you're doing a massive episodic thing where again you know yeah. you've got x amount of time to be able to really introduce themes and ideas and motifs and do stuff but yeah i think you're right i think on, on telly and it does tend to be it's getting more and more wall-to-wall telly so it's just like there's just music mm. everywhere and with film you can just stand back it obviously depends on the film you know but we've all also spoken about the power of silence and um you know having a moment of just letting a scene the atmosphere in a scene be what it is yeah it doesn't need to be described by the music or supported no, was, by the music. There, there mm-hmm. was a there was a very touching scene in Seagull, and I'd scored it, mm. you know, really playing on the tear jerking side of it. And Peter said, "Performance is just so good. I don't think we need it. Mm. I think I think you're 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 leading the audience there, and they don't need it. That's they're the danger. All, they're isn't already it? there. They don't need yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah. we just cut the whole thing, and thank God we did because it was much better." Well, there you go. It's a bonus track on the album. Bonus track on. The also, album. I think I think you need you need some you know music can be more powerful when it's next to silence. Absolutely, and silence right. can be yeah. more powerful next to yes, you know music. It's contrast, so it's like, it's like it? finding that balance because if you've got music all the way through, I think yeah, at the end your ears are going to be tired of listening to music, and you know if you have a, a silent movie, then with no music in, they can always be quite challenging to watch. Yeah. I, th- I think you, so. you can you can become almost immune to music mm-hmm. if it's mm-hmm. just pummeled at you. It's mm-hmm. just something you, you just switch off from it. And I think it has been a criticism of TV drama, hasn't it? That yeah. the, the music is too wall-to-wall. Yeah. Um, but when people get it right, it can be really, really powerful Yeah. in a, in yeah. a production. So we did, I think towards the end, we were doing sort of once a week, occasionally twice a week. I think you came over just to review... Yeah, when we were getting towards the end, when we, we, get, we knew we were doing it, was just minor tweaks. It was just it? minor tweaks at that point, but it all—I think it all stemmed from me reading that script, coming up with those ideas, and then that being populated through the film. It was all of my ideas. None of them were. I didn't. I did one moody one, which did make it through to the temp, but it did tone-wise, it was so different from everything else. Mm. There was a lot of just having drones underneath certain scenes. So just really low, but it made such a big difference. Uh, You know, that's really subtle stuff. You've been very good at that on this album as well, where, you know, you were playing, you were soloing something earlier and uh, you're saying, have a listen to this. And it was the space echo over... No, it was the Ibanez. It was the Ibanez HD 1000. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And it was just these weird tones going in and out of each other but just sitting low in the mix I was just really low in the mix just making everything a little bit unsettling yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah i mean i would really recommend and and definitely next time i do that i would ask <clears throat> my composer to come up with ideas before we start doing the editing 
Oh yeah, it, it was really useful to have that. Yeah, and it mm. sort of it helps you with the edit rather than on my short films in the past. I've I've just found music that I thought was good, and then yeah. it's been a case of the composers trying to reproduce something similar. If you and it's all about the working relationship. It's all about that. So if you can get if you can get someone that is good to work with, someone that's approachable, you know, can take criticism, realizes it's not all about them. <laughs> Dan's working on that. Yeah, I'm working on that. Um, and then uh, you know you can you can work with them, and it, you get in early as well. Definitely get in as early as possible. Then you know uh, only good things are going to come from that. Well, you got in early enough that you ended up on the temp score. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is, how perfect is that? Yeah. So you're not, I mean, the, the, we've gone backwards and forwards on the temp score about, oh, you know, trying to replicate someone else or, but actually it's intended as a, a useful tool and it is, but it depends on the director. It de- depends on how much, how close they want the sound. Yeah. Um, Steve was very right in saying he will put something on as a starting point. You know, this is the general mood that I want for this scene. And I think in that in that way, it's a really useful tool. He, Steve also mentioned that he will only ever use one composer. So he wouldn't sort of cherry pick yeah. from mm-hmm. scores from all sorts of different composers and then make a temp score for his movie or whatever. I, I okay. Use that. He would say, right, it's going to be this composer and I can only use his music or her music, mm. and put that in and do it that Steve, way. Steve's going to be listening to this going, yeah, yeah, or, ow, no, I didn't no. say that at all. <laughs> Hi, um, Steve, by the way. <laughs> but he, um, yeah, he says that because he doesn't want these vast changes in yeah. style and tone all the time. I have worked on stuff that's been tempted with whatever was the big score that year, plus what was clearly the editor's favourite other scores and it can jump about massively mm. and it's really off-putting does it put you under pressure a of li- delivering a li- something a that- little bit because you're trying to set you are trying to second guess and sometimes in tv you don't get the luxury of having a chat and you know the amount of times that spotting sessions are cancelled because they're too busy but directors can only be on a project for like two three months and then mm. they're off if it's a big episodic tv thing they can only be on it for x amount of time then they're off and if they're off on the next job, they're not going to want a spotting session mm. with somebody who's working on their last job. Mm. Um, so I get it. But it does mean it can be quite difficult because then you're not entirely sure who you're pleasing. So, you know, who's in charge? Who's the one? And it's usually it's the execs. It'd be the exec producers. But it's who you're trying to please. And, and if it's jumping about stylistically and it's all over the shop and you're trying to second guess exactly what it is that they want, mm. then... It can be very tricky. I guess that that yeah that that's another difference between you know making a feature and doing TV. Yes, yes. Yeah. I think there's yeah. maybe a bit more that's care cool. and attention into, or it, it tends to be more of a director's vision. Yes. When you're making feature films, and it, it's producers' vision in TV. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Well, um, this is something we've asked a couple of our guests. How do you feel about music, and how 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 do you feel it fits into storytelling? I love putting music t- together with images and it's one of the things when I make corporate films as well, I-, I love spending some time just picking the right track. It's almost like when you, in fiction, when you when you see it, your, your first cut of something, it can feel kind of quite raw and the performance and the direction is on display. And then you, there's the temptation of, the temptation of, if you add some nice music to it, then suddenly it's going to, look or feel much better and as a director you feel a bit more safe 
but anyway that it, it it's it's so important I, I think i remember the first time i watched the opening sequence of seagull with the music you put together and i remember i just i had sort of tears in my eyes i could just i had a, i had a feeling that Did, this was actually going to be okay no one was going to laugh at oh, it, you know? oh there were good tears yeah, yeah, there, there were good tears, good, good tears. Been, it was like I've been, it was... The, I've been on the receiving end of both. <laughs> God, yeah. Uh, but it, it, you know, uh, for me, music is really, really important in in fiction uh, uh, work. I mean, I know that other some directors prefer not to use music so much. Um, I like music, um, and I love sitting down, you know, watching a movie and just letting the music take over and um, direct the story. I think there's mm. a. Um, I'm going to use Seagull just because it's what we both worked on. But I think there's a scene in Seagull where two of the main characters come out of the house and there's been some graffiti put on the side of the house. And in this scene, they come out, they see this graffiti. Then one's the granddad, one's the little girl. She gets taken to school. He then goes to a hardware store to buy new locks for the house, scrubs the wall, and then it's tea time. And this is all in about a minute and a half, two minutes. And as a collection of images, it works. But it, what it needed was something to... It's an A to B. Tie it together. And yeah. it needed to be tied together. And yeah. just a simple piano motif and some strings just going over the top of it, highlighting the mood that was going through the main character's head of the day, an uncertain, not sure what's going on, this isn't great mood, just helped... Yeah, it's, it's, I think scene. it's something I'm I'm reading a, a, a bunch of scripts at the moment, and quite often you get to a point where it says montage, and then there's a series of things that happens, yeah. like all within one page, which will take maybe one to two minutes, and obviously it you know you can only do things like that you know strung together with music I think yeah otherwise it's going to feel well, disjointed two. and you're not going to understand or in the case of uh, Shaun of the Dead ending up in the Winchester. It's a, it's a voiceover, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Here's the plan. Here's the plan, yeah. <laughs> but that's got music behind it as well. Does it? I think so. Probably oh, yes. oh, maybe. Sure. Actually, maybe it doesn't. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe Comedy wrong. sound effects. Yeah. Definitely. But then uh, Team America World Police has got the montage <laughs> bit, where it's got a song that's all about a montage. And at the end, at the end it goes, as, as the song starts fading out, it's this training montage, as it starts fading out, you can hear them going, always fade out in the montage. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. It's fantastic. So Seagull will be coming out. Um, well, it's, it's already year. had its UK premiere at Ooh, Liverpool great. Film Festival. Um, so we're, we're still waiting to hear back from more festivals. And hopefully we'll get it out sometime next summer. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so look out for that, everybody. Another question we ask all of our guests is, what advice would you give to your younger self or to other aspiring directors or indeed to anyone thinking about getting into the industry? Well, I think anybody who wants to get into the industry, my advice is just, you know, work as hard as you can, find a runner job, work your nuts off and get to know some people and see where that may take you. Mm-hmm. Advice for myself is probably, I think I've spent a lot of my time in, in my 30s where I was sort of lacking in confidence in my own work. I think in my, in my 20s, I was quite confident about myself and my work. And I thought 
I could probably, you know, become the next big shot director. And then the 30s kicked in and then suddenly I started doubting myself and mm. whether I, I could really pull this off and whether I had anything to say. And then, and then and then I think maybe in my 40s, I kind of decided to throw all that away and decide that actually I could pull this off. I can do this and I am good enough to be here. So, yeah, if, if, if I could give myself an advice, it would probably be, you know, forget about all the um, the negative voices you have in your head. It's, it's a creative medium and you're always going to struggle, mm. you know, getting your vision out of your head and into reality and make it look and feel and sound as good as possible. But I think all filmmakers, like from, from the lowest, from the newest, uh, you know, short filmmakers to, you know, Steven Spielberg, I'm sure everybody has the same self-doubt that, you know, that I have. So nobody's, uh, you know, why, why put yourself down? Mm. Good advice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you very much, Peter. Really nice to... Uh... Well, thank you very much be, for having be me. Be in the same room as you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a novelty. Fantastic. Danny Mulhern writes on Facebook, a new podcast to add to the mix. Looking forward to listening through the Making a Soundtrack back catalogue. And uh, I believe Danny Mulhern has some drama credits to himself silent witness no less silent witness yeah and what they had was a mm. film i think last year thank you very much danny thank you for listening and thank you for sharing thank you danny it's very nice of you it is indeed so speaking of the socials we put out a poll asking what we should do with our album once we were finished and we had four things you could vote for approach music libraries self-release wait for an opportunity and I've replied with my idea. No one replied, did they? No one replied with my idea, no. But we did have a clear winner with 50% of the vote, and that was self-release. Hmm. Interesting. interesting. No, it's nice to uh, dip the toe and actually start thinking about what we're going to do with it. Uh, we've touched on it briefly, haven't we? But yeah, we are, like you said the other day, about three quarters of the way through the album now. So Yeah, so we should really have a plan for it. Yeah. A plan A, at least. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. Is that a wrap? I believe that's a wrap. Excellent. That's a wrap. How do you find us? Makingasoundtrack.com will tell you all you need to know. There are links to the podcast, social media links, and there's information about us as well. And if you're enjoying the podcast, it would make our day if you could give us a positive rating or review. And if you enjoyed this episode... Hit that share button and recommend it to someone. Thank you very much. Thank you. Goodbye.